0: We are all worthy, strong, and committed, and we are ready to go beyond our own limitations. Welcome back, my friends and loved ones to the Rebel Minded Podcast. I'm your host, Zach, with my co-host, Thor, of course, and I'm here as a friend, a creator, a powerlifter, and a provocateur. And we are here to learn to question the one thing that keeps us from our best, ourselves. Join me as we dive deep to question and strengthen our communication and our vulnerability create a healthier mind to commit to our goals, and how to give more to our lovers and the world. We're going to face the uncomfortable truths of what it means to be authentically and uniquely flawed but awesome humans. So let's get rebel-minded. Also, I'll bring in stories of all things powerlifting, Thor shenanigans, and probably some embarrassing mishaps. Let's do this. Welcome back, my rebel minded freaks. How are you guys doing? We are back with another guest episode with one of my favorite people I've ever had the privilege of talking to. She's so chipper, so bubbly, and she is a bloody amazing human. Now, Kat is a development worker and coach based over in the UK. She has spent most of her professional life working in human development and she knows it's not always as glamorous as people might think. She's been up at 5 a.m. hauling cabbages into her truck in Zambia, counting insects in the spiny forest over in Madagascar, and managing programs to deliver HIV prevention to teenagers in rural Tanzania, and most recently, working behind her UK desk to lead on human rights programming in the Middle East and North Africa. Kat knows that humans working on big social problems like health, social care and education can weigh very heavy and she sees that working within those fields can take an immensely emotional toll she also knows what burnout looks like and feels like as she's intimately felt it herself she coaches those in those aforementioned helping professions to help them recalibrate and put their needs first she uses the power of small change to support and motivate clients to identify and achieve their goals She is a lover of gardening and is a firm believer in the power of the green space. Check her out on Instagram at the little green guru and her website, www.catalystcat.co.uk. Now to the episode with Kat Simmons. So Kat, um, I've been super excited to do this talk with you. Um, I really Mm. like the angle that you come from because there's so much that there's, there's so many people that lie within different realms that still have the same difficulties with things. Right. And your expertise is around um, the people that are also helping other people almost Mm -hmm. in a way that they're so selfless that they, they don't pay attention to their own needs. I think that was the biggest thing that we were talking about before. Right.
1: Yeah. So
0: So yeah, tell tell everybody your story. Where where did everything start? I
1: I am British, you may have guessed by the accent. Um, Yeah, so I guess I am what you would call in my day job, sort of a development worker or a charity worker or an international development worker. But really, um, I use my project management skills having studied international development at university to work within the nonprofit sector to deliver programs, projects. Um, I'm currently based in the UK and have been for the last uh, 10 years. But before that, um, I had the opportunity to live and work in different African countries. So I did a year on Reunion Island, which is in the Indian Ocean at university, which was amazing. Uh, I went to Madagascar. I wrote my master's thesis on Madagascar, not like Madagascar the film. Oh, dang it. (laughs) There were definitely lemurs. Uh, But uh, yeah, Madagascar the country, because it is just one of the most amazing biodiverse countries. Mm. And my master's degree was in environmental policy and development. So I was very interested in how in this complex world do we balance the needs of humans against the needs of um, the natural world. Okay. So in Madagascar, you know, sort of like 90% of plants aren't found anywhere else in the world. 80% of animals aren't found anywhere else in the world. It is just such an amazing country. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And that's where you get the lemurs from because they developed from a... So I'm going down like a David Attenborough route, but, you know... The, <laughs> The uh, nature of Madagascar is this big island. Is that you know when it's sort of separated from the mainland, um, it developed its own special, unique way. But it has its challenges. It's not a very wealthy country, um, and I was just interested to learn. You know, what do you prioritise? You know, the uh, environment or people's health and well-being. Um, so I went through that, and then I had um, the honour to work in Rwanda for a couple of years as well. Um, as possibly one of the world's most unprepared teachers which was quite interesting Um, (laughs) and I I moved on to um, working in Zambia and then in Northern Ireland, Tanzania and then finally back to the UK and that was all about really working on development projects on the ground looking at health, reduction of poverty, community development each with a slightly different um, angle and focus but really um kind of what we say in the field on the ground living as part of the community and trying to use my <laughs> skills and knowledge uh to contribute something positive positive. Mm-hmm. and then for the last 10 years i've been back in the uk still working for a charity that uh, focuses on hiv and human rights um but very much behind the desk now trying to um deliver programs and projects And then most recently, working in um, sort of a subsection around risk management. So exciting.
0: (laughs) So exciting. (laughs) And
1: and of course, uh, I work as a coach, um, which is kind of an offshoot of um, some of the skills and experience that I developed working with people, because basically, projects are people, you cannot work within people's communities to make change without developing um, good people skills. So I've sort of translated that into working uh, as a coach for people mainly who spend a lot of time helping other people
0: mm-hmm. so there there's so much time there kat um and no seriously like and i'm
1: really old like no wow. no no
0: more more like i mean because my last yeah. decade is is not as colorful for sure mm-hmm. uh as far as far as working with other people at least um and it it would be it's so intriguing. Um and I guess it would you know very curiosity striking for to, to know how much you learned because about people, because you learned so much like that's what your work was, right? Yeah. Um and how that affects how you do things today. I mean it's it's all a lot of the similar stuff, right? Um so I guess what was the biggest thing that you were learning or did learn through like a decade's worth, over a decade's worth of time about people? And how does that connect to what you're doing now and the people that you're serving now?
1: Good question. Um, I think really I learned so much about myself and my own yeah. culture um, because people always think, oh, well, if you go and work in Rwanda, You'll learn a lot about Rwandese culture. And of course you will. And you know, I tried to learn a bit of the language, and we were we were very much based within the community, so had to, you know, go to the market every day, get on the bus with my fellow teachers and go up to school, et cetera, et cetera. But really, I learned so much more about what it means to be me in my identity as a white British cis woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was always such a shock that. In a strange way, sometimes the effect of going back to your home country is stronger than the sort of like discombobulation you get when you first move somewhere overseas because you're moving overseas because you want to. So there's obviously something in your mind that is open to these new experiences. So working within very sort of like diverse environments with people from all different backgrounds, uh, speaking different languages, having to learn how to interpret you know, kind of how people live their lives, it, it makes you able to reflect on your own way of doing stuff, but also to appreciate that actually, wow, these things are so culturally ingrained into my being that I never realised. So like, for example, in the UK, if you go to someone's house and the person invites you in, if you are planning on staying any considerable amount of time, normally you take your coat off. And of course, the exception of that is if you're just popping by literally to give somebody something. Um, and then when it's time for you to leave normally in a British household, you pick up your coat and that's the signal, the cultural signal that I'm going to make a move. Or somebody, if they want to get you out of the house, they might say something like, oh, shall I get your coat? As a little bit of a <laughs> sort of coded way of saying, right, thank you. I need to get on with my life. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't realise when I went to Rwanda that uh, in Rwanda, and I am obviously basing this entirely on my one experience, um, but it's not so common that you would take your coat off at somebody's house necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it led to a really interesting uh, time at my house where we had some uh, Rwandese uh, colleagues come around and uh, they came in and they sat down and we were having a chat. And because they had their coats on, I kind of felt like, oh, this is just going to be a quick visit. <laughs> they were there for like a really long time. And then it got to the point where it's like, oh, it's actually starting to get a bit dark now. Like, <laughs> um, you know, and sort of tried all the sort of British cultural signals like, oh, well, looking at the watch better get a move. But of course couldn't say, well, should I get my, your coat? Because they were still wearing their coats. And I found out afterwards that, the, that they have been incredibly uncomfortable because it would have been more appropriate for me to stand up and say, thank you for coming to visit. It's time for you to leave now and to physically walk with them off the property. Wow. So they they had been sitting there waiting for me to liberate them from this visit. And I had been sitting there waiting for them to volunteer to get up and go so that I could be liberated <laughs> from the visit. And it's a silly example, but just goes to show how you can learn so much about your own cultural upbringing. And I've had such you know, pleasure and uh, opportunity to continue to work within a diverse workspace in my UK um, job and I guess it's just it's hard to remember but it's just trying to remember that you come with your own biases and your own perceptions so even when you're working as a coach it's really important to try and remember that your reaction to a situation or your feelings about a situation may not be the same depending on the person's own experience their cultural background uh, the way that they've been brought up, for example. And that that can really come into play when we have, um, you know, big events in life. Um, you know, one of the examples is, you know, sometimes people pass away in the family and the automatic reaction is to assume that somebody is going to be very, very sad and to be very visibly sad about that. And in some cultures, it's not appropriate. You know, grief is not shown in the same way. And also on a human level, we can never assume that somebody is necessarily going to be feeling the way that we feel, so it's really important to try. <laughs> it's you know, it's like a life lesson to try and just remember that actually the way that the person is expressing themselves doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think I think when we're unable to get outside of our own world, it leads us to not only a lot of assumption, I guess, um, but. Uh, it gives a gives a gives, gives a direction to us of how we think things are supposed to work, mm-hmm. right? And there was this study that uh, was done. I, I don't know how many years ago. I, I remember just I vaguely remember reading about it. And they did this study with uh, these tribesmen uh, in the jungle that were, um, you know, they're they're almost completely undisturbed. Mm-hmm. Right. And they, they did this test of expressions with them and mm-hmm. our a typical culture of, you know, what, what, what an expression looks like with surprise, uh, what fear looks like, mm-hmm. what all these different emotions look like. And they showed them to these, to these, uh, these tribal people and they were almost none of them were like a, a match of what we would, what we would have expected. You know, their, their, their expression of fear was not the same as ours. Their expression of, of affection and our their expression of, um, of anger was not the same as ours, which is Mm -hmm. really mind blowing when you think about it, because everyone seems to think that they know exactly how other persons are when maybe it's, it's a lot more cultural or maybe it's a lot more hidden than we realize. And we're faking it anyway, right. Mm -hmm. For, for the idea of, of not having to get uncomfortable, maybe, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, it's such a good point. And, you know, I, I do believe, you know, we are one sort of like species in the sense that we're so diverse, but we we do have these common, you know, values and needs and ways of connecting as, as human social creatures that is really important. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, how people visibly express how they feel can be so different depending on where you are in the world. You know, your gender, your sexual orientation, how you mm-hmm. identify in the space, it can really it can really impact stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, so every t- every day was a learning day for me every day. And I learned so much about what it means to be British.
0: <laughs> More than you probably realized you did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I think it, it took me a little while to to not be on attack. Um, because it's the culture that I was raised in, but being mm. so mad about the the American things, you know. Mm. But I think that's the point of discovery. Like you, you find surprise, you find anger, you find frustration, or you find um, uh, maybe even glee. I guess in mm. the way that you were raised, without even realizing that's how you were raised. Mm. You know.
1: Definitely.
0: Um. <clears throat> so did this did this kind of stuff help you in the work that you do today? Because you. The biggest thing that, that you and I were talking about, which was a big uh, point of view for you, which I mean it was something you really want to put emphasis on, was helping all these people that were far too much helping others rather than helping themselves.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, the development sector, it's it's a specific career path. It has mm-hmm. lots of sort of avenues. Um, but, you know, it's a thing and lots of people feel very called to use their skills, um, you know, in a way that benefits the wider society. And, you know, yeah. there's been lots of critiques of, um, you know, the international aid sector and the need to decolonize aid. And, you know, it is complex. But at the heart of it, there is for most of the time, you know, a desire from somebody to want to usually alleviate or to help alleviate... suffering of others and that's a very noble cause and it comes you know with its pros and cons and you know not everybody who works in development are angels as we know um but i I feel that most of the people that i've hung out with and worked with you know we we've had this shared vision of it's like well you know the world doesn't have to be like this and if we could do things in a slightly different way wouldn't it be better for everybody Mm. um but it has its drawbacks in the sense that it can become, it's a very intense job most of the time. Um, On a personal level, it can be really difficult. Often you're, you know, my experiences in the sort of development side of things, obviously in terms of the humanitarian response uh, within conflict zones or to disasters, you know, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Um, And that's even more intense than, you know, what what some people would experience uh, living and working overseas. And it can, it can depend so much who you're working with, who you're working for. You know, are you working for a super large organization? Are you working for the UN? Are you working for a small charity? But at the core, there is this desire to do something of good. Um, but it does, it can become all encompassing. And you find that the lines can start to blur
0: mm-hmm.
1: between your own identity outside of your job because so many decisions are made in life based on the job and take that along with your sort of personal sense of mission and values. And suddenly it's like I am only here because of my job. I am only in Tanzania because of the work. I'm only in rural Zambia because of the job. So that can be quite hard. Obviously, you leave your friends, your family, sometimes your partners. You have to try and rebuild constantly these social networks. It can be really difficult. You know, and it can lead to, unfortunately, overwork. Uh, You know, working on these big social problems, there is no end date to these these issues. They are complex and they take time. You know, things like behaviour change. You know, we know it, you know, in our own experiences, how difficult it is to change our behaviour. Oh, I wish that I didn't drink so much wine at the weekend. I wish that I ate more healthily. It's so hard then to make those changes. So, you know in that sort of context these big social problems where maybe you feel very strongly about the injustice in the world where you feel very morally you know strong in the sense that it's just not acceptable you know for for so many millions of people to be living in abject poverty you know often because of you know the nation from where you've come yourself you know talking about that whole decolonizing aid piece um, And just the sense that, yeah, you know, kids shouldn't go to bed hungry. And that is something that, you know, it's not just a problem out there. These are issues that we face in our own societies, of course, Mm -hmm. in our own cultures. So it's not so uh, simple just to say, oh, you know, I'm going there and nothing like this exists in my own community. Um, But it can be really challenging. Sometimes there's, you know, vicarious trauma. You can sometimes see things that are upsetting or difficult to deal with um and those things stay with you for for a long time and you know it really is around that sort of loss of identity and being able to come back to that place where it's like what I would like to do in my life can I do it without feeling guilty you know it's that sense of everybody else has it worse than me so why am I complaining
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um and it's true you know we, we have this society where you know people can be too selfish People can be very ignorant of the wider world. They can be very narrow minded and focused on then, you know, what they want. Um, But it's when it starts to swing too far the other way. And then you start to realize that you're being perhaps too much driven by this external focus rather than your sort of internal true self, um, that that's when you realize, actually, wow, this job has taken over my life. (laughs) Yeah. And it's led me to places where hmm, I'm not quite sure I like this person anymore. So it's tricky. It's tricky.
0: I, the, the thing that comes to mind most, I guess, is is like if you, regardless of whatever job you have, you know, because I, I, th- I think it's a constant learning process. And I think, that, you know, different stages and different examples and different experiences, super, like a matter, like diversity of experience really matters. But it seems like, no matter what you do I- even if you want to do something noble if you're not careful you'll lose your autonomy and you'll you'll be you can you can still be you can almost still be uh have like a victim mindset you know because you're so obligated to do everything for everybody else that you don't see where you have power to do things for yourself maybe Ooh. you know you know what i mean um i don't know it's it's kind of a it's kind of a tricky spot because you would think that the work that you're doing is so progressive and, and so effective for everybody outside of you that it would bring instant happiness, you know, to yourself. Right. Because that yeah. there's that phrase of like, do everything, you know, give value to the world and, you know, the world will give back what you, what you need. Yeah. Um, but it, it does seem like it can be very taxing emotionally, physically, um, even yeah. maybe, maybe spiritually too. Uh, what are the types of jobs of the people that you're working with that are having the biggest difficulty with this type of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, before I answer that, just to sort of reflect on the point you've raised there, I mean, you've got to remember these things in life, everything has a payoff, doesn't it? There's a reason why we keep doing these things. And you might ask the question, like, you know, why do people do this job then if it's like so detrimental to their sense of identity? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, but you have to remember when you're working with your colleagues in those kind of environments, you know people that work in international development like I said they're very motivated they're very uh inspired and inspiring there is a real energy that you get from hanging out with people who have this sense of being moved to action who are just not prepared to accept the status quo and you really do feel very much like in the present moment and alive and there is something quite you know attractive about that it it feels great you feel like you know yeah I'm not worried about the small shit in life because how could I be when this is the community that I'm living in and this is the challenges that people are facing and I feel like I'm actually part of that. I mean it's it's massively massively rewarding but <laughs> it's that sense of balance mm-hmm. that real sense of balance. And I think that you know to be very clear it's not just people who work in international aid um, I see the same thing, you know, for anybody who works on what I call the big social problems. So, health professionals, nurses, doctors, healthcare assistants, yeah, you know, can I even include dentists? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, teachers, social workers, uh, people that work on, you know, drug and alcohol rehabilita- rehabilitation. You know, these are all jobs where people give so much of their energy to a problem that has no defined end. And where often there is, there is both pain and pleasure in working with people who are experiencing pain, but also who have great, fulfilled lives as well. Because, you know, let's face it, not everybody's a victim. It's, we don't want that savior approach, that's not helpful. But yeah. it's very difficult when, think about the pandemic, the COVID 19 <laughs> pandemic, you know, the impact it's had on healthcare, healthcare professionals the whole of the last year, and it will continue. Imagine that you've been working in a hospital and you're working with COVID patients. Do you think you're really going to care that you couldn't get feta cheese for your dinner? Yeah,
0: you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Any cheese will do. I, I'm mm-hmm. just happy. I've, I'm just happy I've got a dinner break. You mm-hmm. know, it's that kind of attitude. Um, you know, so it's really, really tough, really tough for people, you know, where you're having to think constantly about how all these different connections are made you know wow the outcome that we want is this how do we get there and Mm -hmm. that sounds really easy when you're dealing with things like building bridges yeah practical things but you know how do you reduce stigma for people living with HIV for example
0: (sighs) (laughs) totally yeah totally uh so it's almost like losing your identity to something, Mm. you know, even if it, even if it is noble is, does that, does that kind of seem on track? I guess, um, people losing themselves so much to their work that they, that they don't forget who they're, because what it reminds me of is, is like moms that, Mm. um, that are no longer moms or moms that, you know, you know, uh, parents that get divorced or whatever. And then, you know, she has to find her own way and, you know, they have to, You know, she doesn't have her kids with her all the time or there's a bunch of different situations and I don't want anybody to start attacking like, oh, well, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so or like moms or, um, you know, I have two friends that are cops. And one of the biggest things because I went through I went through the process, too, of becoming a deputy. And the thing that they they really instilled in us or tried to really instill in us is like, make sure that you have a life outside of this because you put in a lot of hours here and you get to know the people here. A lot and yeah. you and these other people are the only ones that really understand what you're doing and and why you do it and and that perspective so mm-hmm. you'll become so attached to the work and you'll only hang hang out with the other deputies and other you know law enforcement people and then you won't know what to do and how to look at people outside of that work and outside of that oh, perspective oh. and they said it gets really unhealthy
1: yeah that's exactly it, exact. Zach. that that's it it's spot on you know how can you talk to your friends back home in the UK about the things that you've seen living in Tanzania or Rwanda how can you when mm-hmm. they're worried about like oh is my freezer delivery gonna arrive on time you know and I <laughs> I slid very much back to that perspective I remember mm-hmm. coming back to the UK in 2007 and I walked into a department store and um I saw a child's dress. I think it was a Christian Dior dress or Gucci dress for a child, like a baby. Oof. And it was like 200 pounds. And it provoked such uh, a feeling in me that I actually said something to the assistant, like, this is disgusting. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? We're not all angels. Yeah. I won't lie to you. You know, yeah. I have spent 70 pounds on a candle you know, so it's, it's easy. It was a very nice candle. You can, easy, you, you can slip back, you can slip back, you know, and that's why I think so many people find it so hard to have that balanced life because it it is almost easier just to stay in it. Like you mm-hmm. say, socialize with your work colleagues, you know, see them in the office or the, the hospital or, you know, the department or whatever, you know, hang out with them socially, you know, that kind of stuff. It, it's tough. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so how do you help people find that balance? If, if there's such an extreme that we mm. put ourselves into our work and everything, how do you help people step back into, into doing the little things for themselves and enjoying who they are and, and their hobbies and uh, yeah. their interests? Yeah. What brings people back into that balance?
1: Definitely, I mean, for me, it really is that sense of, you know, what I call that recalibration approach um, because, rec- you know, it can be really overwhelming And ironically, a lot of people that that work to help others, you know, they're very intelligent people. And because you're working with these big problems, I usually find that most of them are quite sort of, you know, very good thinkers and they can understand things very logically. But we find it very hard to apply it to ourselves. Mm. So, you know, (laughs) we know that it takes time to change people's behavior. We know that it takes time to see big shifts. Um, and I think sometimes we sort of go, oh yeah, but for us, oh, I just won't bother doing that or like, it's too difficult. And we get very much a sense of overwhelm. And that, that, is, that is often because there's still a lot of energy being drawn into the pri- preliminary identity, whether it's, your, you know, mm-hmm. in this case, mostly your work or your profession. Um, so it really is to start, you know, couching it in terms of, if you can make massive shifts, go for it, that's fine. But guess what? You can make small, consistent changes in the way that you live and you will see the benefits of doing that. And the other side of the coin is to say, and you deserve that, you deserve that. Uh, You are not betraying your sense of duty to the the bigger world um, by wanting to put in boundaries or to to use different sort of self-care methods. So it really is recalibration, like, let's do it one thing at a time, small steps at a time. It's self-compassion to say, I'm not betraying my moral feelings about, you know, what's good for me. You know, again, that whole sort of, why am I complaining? I have electricity. Mm -hmm. It's the self-care, which is how can I actually start to connect more deeply to what I need on all the different levels, physical, spiritual, whatever. And I think it is about looking at the person holistically. So often I might have a client who will come and say, oh, I've got um, an issue with my job. I'm not sure if I want to, you know, how I want to move next in the sector, et cetera, et cetera. But it's never really just about the job, because when you start to talk to them, you realize, hey, guess what? They're a whole person under this job identity. And if you don't treat the whole person in the sense of you not treat in the medical sense, but treat as in paying attention to the different elements of the person, um, then it, it totally undermines the entire point, which is to move forward in a way that you feel whole, uh, if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> no, totally. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think that that whole is, is something that people desire. Um, and, and a lot of times I think it's, it's, they feel like it's farther away than it really is. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like most times we have what we really need. It's what, what brings us, what creates the shortcoming, I think is realizing that it's within our action. It's, it's within our pauses. It's within our presence in, in order to to recognize that we have everything we need and we have everything we need to move forward too. you know, Mm -hmm. it's the action and educating ourselves or um, or taking our moments that separate us from the world or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. have, have have you noticed a continuous pattern in, in certain people, you know, is it come down to certain uh, certain emotions or certain perspectives that people are, are particularly in because I'm wondering if there's people on the other side of the mic that want some sort of relativity you know that want to be able to hear oh okay well I also feel this maybe I maybe it's possible for me to feel whole by myself you know have you, have you noticed a lot of patterns in people
1: yeah and I think you're absolutely right I think really underlying the sort of things that I tend to encounter you can see it in other parts of society, so it's it's definitely not a challenge that's just solely linked to this sector of, of the community. Mm-hmm. You mentioned mums and parents. I would say, you know, it, it really is that. Um, on one side, it's the kind of the sort of slightly guilty feelings. Uh, mm-hmm. I've made a commitment to this cause. I've made a commitment to this organisation if I want to do something that suits me better and shock horror if it's outside of the sector, that's even like doubly worse. Mm-hmm. So it's that feeling of um, responsibility is often very high, um, which again, I think you see in parents, you know, they, their sense of responsibility or guardians, the sense of responsibility towards the, the people that they're looking after takes precedence over everything. And sometimes it doesn't stop even when the circumstance changes. You know, we always joke about you know martyr mums who just just never put themselves first. Yes, you know, not easy. But it's that kind of thing. And also, one thing I notice is that people who work um, in these kind of sectors, <laughs> and you probably include parents in this, they're really tired because they work like long hours, or they feel the sort of like the mental strain of the work. I mean, number of cases of burnout, rust out really poor boundaries so emails all the time emails in the evening emails at the weekend you know I, I I've seen emails from people being sent and I'm thinking what when did this email get sent and I look and it was sent at five twenty nine on a Saturday morning oh no come on yeah it's so it's those feelings spill over into the behavior so the emotion okay. needs that kind of poor poor boundaries is definitely something that's that's common and and remember sometimes people may not even be aware of it
0: yeah. yeah
1: they may not even see it as a problem they might say oh well it's bloody efficient for me to be sending emails all weekend or that's when it suits me to send an email what's the problem yeah but <laughs>
0: um thor's dreaming right now
1: oh,
0: no. <laughs> um no i I think that's so huge too, is what we don't see about ourselves. Mm. And, and, you know, that's why I think this has been one of the hardest things for me too, is not only making sure that we interact with other people, not, you know, making sure that we not just communicate, but communi- communicate about the things that are tough, the things that are disturbing us. Because I think that we put on the shield of like, I'm doing good. Like I, I've, I've got this education and I'm making a difference. And then mm-hmm. we don't think we're good enough or, or that we should be able to handle ourselves completely. Like we're s- supposed to be mm-hmm. an emotional Superman inside, you know, but we're so based around, you know, doing things together. It's why part of the reason we're the dominant species, I think, is because we collaborate, mm-hmm. you know, and I think people are so afraid to do that that they don't have that outside perspective that will gen- you know, this genius that we would think that would help them when really it's just a different angle mm-hmm. that someone else has for us. That's why I think that therapists and counselors and coaches are so crazy important right now because so many, everybody's so out of focus and everybody's so out of touch with their inner selves mm-hmm. that we need people to really help us see what's true about us, about us. Because I think who we are is so separate, so separated from the actual reality of what we're doing. I, for the longest time, it's something I've been trying to attack and I probably need a good coach cat. Um, we'll need to (laughs) talk after this, um, is that I feel like I'm not worth anything if I don't do my work, if I don't work, if I don't work. Um, but I also only know that work as the physical labor that I've always done my whole life, probably because that's how my father done it, has done it. You know, he, that's the only, that's the only work he's ever known is physical labor. And so when I start tapping into something that I think is good for other people that I think is creative, that I think is, is beneficial and valuable. I don't see that as work. And so I attack really? myself saying this is not priority because you're no, nobody is nobody's going to believe that you're worthy. If you're not doing something that is, You know, keeping you above ground that is paying your bills, that is um that is beneficial to everybody else, you know, and and not allowing myself to to find benefit in the work that I do outside of my day job.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: and and so you destroy yourself a little bit.
1: Um, I would like to just say, you know, you might consider humans to be the dominant species, but I would argue that if you have if you had spent a similar night in the rather divey hotel in which I used to stay in Tanzania with all of the mosquitos <laughs> in Salaam, you, you might feel very uh, not dominant in that sort of situation. <laughs> I certainly didn't feel in control of, of anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And I think it, it goes back to that sense of, you know, um, the internal focus versus the external, you know, mm-hmm. what is driving you and, and, I know through my sort of experience of, you know, sort of going down the counseling training pathway and also being, you know, a, a, a counseling client myself, it's like, that's the hardest thing. It's like where we feel very driven by the external factors.
0: Mm-hmm. We don't
1: make decisions that really reflect deeply, you know, what we need and we want. And when you, you on a logical level feel that your work is very beneficial to the external environment, that's the point what if you change your mind what if you Mm -hmm. if you don't want to keep doing that or you want to do something different and I don't think it's about you know manual or non-manual work or you know academic work or non-academic work but it's about what's driving you and where are you coming from Um, and if you're able to say you know what is really my purpose here am I really doing this for the community or am I doing it for me and what's what's the cut if I'm saying yes to this what am I saying no to you know that kind of, that's always a good question um and like you say because people are are not uh, we're not logical that's that's part of the problem and we are never just our jobs so your feelings about you know like you said about the the need for the financial security you know that comes from our own experience and what we've experienced growing up and how we see it reflected in the world around us. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be interesting if I took you to where I used to live in Zambia, for example, I wonder how that might shift your mindset. And maybe Mm -hmm. you wouldn't, you wouldn't feel so strongly because out of your cultural reference, it doesn't have the same weight. Totally. And that's what's so fantastic about being able to experience living in different countries and cultures is that, like I said, right at the beginning, you reflect so much back on your own cultural upbringing. And it can be so liberating because yeah. you suddenly realize in this culture, people don't think that way about me. So therefore, I don't have to be like this or like that. It can be very, very liberating. <sighs>
0: <laughs> Going to make you cry. Um <laughs> No, I I think it's, it's majorly important um, that people can see outside of their own view. And it's, I think, I think everybody does want to be liberated somehow. I think, you know, a a lot of times, like, we're, we're suffering in a way that we don't want to express because we feel ashamed of it, because we feel embarrassed about it. Mm -hmm. We think that you know, in the world of today, where everybody is capable of putting their best front forward, and then that's the one dimension that you see as a human. You think that that's also what you're supposed to be, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so apart from everybody traveling and and making sure they get a, a different cultural, because uh, I think a lot of us would love that, right? Yeah. Ironically, um, yeah. ironically, right? Um, how would we? How would people define? I mean, I I guess it would be uniquely to everybody, you know, defining self-care is what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. How can we, how can we put in that self-care? How can each person do something or how do we describe self-care in a way that people can do this daily and can separate themselves uh, from their work or, you know, the value that they're giving to make themselves feel more whole? Like, what are the kind of steps that we can, we can do to really attack that and feel like we're, oh man, part of something good, but we also love ourselves.
1: Yes, exactly. Very good question. So it's very interesting. I think the whole sort of like self-care discourse, uh, I think we have to recognize right from the beginning that we all come from a position of our own relative privilege. Okay. So that's what you learn, obviously being a global citizen. And that's why it's so good to be able to get out into the world or to meet with different people is that it helps you to understand, like I said, your own cultural space. But also we have to acknowledge that there is inherent privilege in many of the positions that we hold Mm -hmm. um, based on where we are, who we are, our gender, our sexual orientation, what we do, et cetera, et cetera, the opportunities we've had in life. So I sometimes get a bit cross when I, you know, it can be very flippant to say, oh, you know, self-care, it's not just about bubble baths, you know. Actually, self-care is about doing like really hard work. And it's like, yes, of course, self-care isn't just about bubble bars or meditation or massages. Mm-hmm. But that comes for me from yeah. a place of privilege. Imagine you don't have hot running water at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you're living with 14 people in a very small space with no electricity. I can honestly say to you from my own position of privilege, I feel that it would be more likely than less likely that somebody might feel that for them in that circumstance, a bubble bath is flipping amazing.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Thing that they could, you know, so I think we just have to be be careful about not being too sniffy about what we think self-care is for everybody else, Mm -hmm. because really the really hard stuff is, is the hard self-care, which is where you start to reflect on things like your boundaries how you create space for yourself Mm -hmm. how you have difficult conversations how you can feel comfortable to say no to things how you value your own time and resources how you put in steps to be aware of and not take on everybody else's problems Mm
0: -hmm. thereby
1: removing their own agency from the situation that you really reflect on the confusion that we sometimes have about you know why am I doing this is it for myself or is it you know for the wider community and is there maybe a reason why I'm doing it that benefits me beyond that and and that can be really hard so for me that's the that's why so many of us would prefer to have a bubble bath <laughs> <laughs> much nicer you know yeah um so I I really wanted to I really would like to have the conversation with people without too much judgment about what they consider self-care to be, because it will be so different for, for each person depending on their circumstances. For, for some people, the best self-care is saying no to a family get together where normally the family get together causes them a lot of stress and heartbreak yes. and frustration and arguing, because guess what, that happens in life. And for somebody that might be the bravest thing that they can do is to say the boundary for my own health and well being is that I say no to this. So again, what you say yes to and what you say no to, um, it doesn't always have to be. It doesn't always have to be something like that. But it's the process of looking into your life and saying, based on what I need and want, and the vision of where I want to get to, what can I do along the way to be self compassionate and to care for myself. And yeah. for some adults, it's reparenting themselves. For some adults, it's allowing themselves to spend money because they've come from a place where, you know, spending money is not seen as a positive thing. So you see, it's about that rebalance between what the external world is telling you how to live your life and then what you have, your true self, which mm-hmm. you know, so I see it all leading towards that same sort of idea, you know, that you're better in touch with what you really want and that you can move forward with less judgment, you know,
0: and, and be OK with what you want. Yeah. Yeah, because-
1: and to, to express it and to talk about it, yeah. you know, without shame or embarrassment. Imagine, you, imagine you'd gone to university and you'd studied a PhD in economics and you went off work with the UN, you know, I don't know, in Guatemala, working on their, I don't know, multilateral economic development programme. Mm-hmm. And then imagine you got really burnt out after 15 years in the field and you came back home and you lost touch with your friends you didn't have a partner or any children yourself. You'd never owned a home there. And then imagine you said, oh, sod this for a game of I want to open a bakery. Do you see what I mean?
0: Oh, totally, yeah.
1: How many people would be like, sorry, you went to university and got a PhD. You've been doing amazing work in Guatemala and now you want to open a bakery. Do you see all the stigma and judgment that's in that? Mm-hmm. That's why people don't like to move away from what they've already invested in, even if it's not making them happy anymore.
0: So, So in that situation... Um do you think I'm gonna question I'm gonna question this cat um, <laughs> <I'm nervous laughs> This now. is my job is to create questions um, <laughs> so do you think that that has I guess when, if there's a shame factor it is it like because it's so separated from the work um, and because if, if that were the case and the guy was gonna open a bakery mm-hmm. then, the questions, maybe, I mean, I don't I know, I, I guess I'm asking you also, I guess the questions might be like, um, this is, you know, this isn't saving the world. This isn't helping, you know, this isn't helping people through their problems. It's, you know, mm. if I'm baking food, it's, it's only carbs and I'm only making people's health worse. Um, it's not enough to fill my own heart. Even, even though I feel like baking is one of my favorite things in the world, and you dismantle all the reasons why this would be good for you yeah you know and you compare it to a past life or a a, a life you're expected to live almost Mm. right i mean it's not my own dream so it's hard to find the questions but
1: no or the challenge is how could you do something that might be perceived as so selfish knowing what Mm -hmm. you know when you've seen people suffering from abject poverty who are not able to take agency who don't necessarily have governments that look out for them you know that that's the challenge it's like how yeah. do you how do you you know imagine you're a doctor same sort of thing you've invested a lot of time and energy you help what do doctors do doctors help people it's the entire you know basis of, the, of their of their being you know as they want to do that imagine you say oh yeah actually I'd love to become an interior designer
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean I'm not saying you know we can't generalize but I wouldn't be surprised if that, you know, a lot of people have these thoughts about, you know, as they go through life, it's like, hey, guess what? What interests me now at 43 is very different from what interested me at 23. But, oh, shit, I have invested a lot in this pathway, (laughs) you know, mentally, energetically, practically, financially, you know. And I'm not saying that only people who work in development or doctors have this issue, but I think it is. It's, it's exacerbated by the fact that if you have chosen to get into a profession that is explicitly has the goal to help people, and yeah. that's how other people perceive your role, then it can be really hard to say, actually, I want to do something slightly different, you know.
0: No, yeah, I it, it seems like if you, if you talk to enough people, you have this, you kind of start to get... Uh, of of this skill, like this reading of energy that Mm -hmm. kind of lights you up or, or it does for me, at least like you see something that somebody may not be their job, but they're really good at. And you, you feel their, their passion about it. And you're like, in the back of your mind, you're like, why don't you do this for your, for your living? You're like, why don't, why don't you just do this? And then there's, these other people where you can feel the vibe that it's, it's all about the success and you have no idea who they are inside. And Mm. I don't know. There, there's that weird energy transference that maybe not all people feel, or may, maybe are not all aware of. But you, you can really tell the passion in somebody when in those types of situations, you know. And and you 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 almost question the other person inside yourself of like, how are you not doing this? Because you seem so vibrant. You seem so alive when you talk about this or when you act out on this type of thing, you know. And I guess that goes back to you know them thinking that it's it's only a hobby and it's it's not meant to be you know the life-sustaining thing that they want you know they're too obligated to do a job or you know you have spent 20 years like what you're saying dedicated to a career and it's it's the only thing that you know so how do you how do you separate yourself from that yeah how do you yeah, how do you start over I guess quote-unquote start over um in something new even though it's something that you would love to be a part of and something you're super passionate about
1: it's so true and I think you know it's and don't get me wrong, you know, there are plenty of people that work in the development sector or the nonprofit sector, you know, who are very career focused and driven. And, you know, they are financially rewarded for the hard work that they give. And they they don't they don't have any of these, you know, issues that I'm talking about. Um, so just like any other part of society, there's always some people at one end and others at the other end. Um, but I think it's it's absolutely true. Um I've completely forgotten the question now because I'm, I was so in my own brain about uh, thinking about that. (laughs) Sorry. It's five o'clock. It's nearly time for wine. Carry on.
0: (laughs) We got to make it to at least five so that we can have a glass of wine. Um, no, you know, obviously we we want to wrap this into the the rebel minded process, right? Mm -hmm. That is the point of the podcast, you know? Um, and the rebel-minded process is all about what we decide to question. So yes. is there are there things that you think people are not questioning enough? Mm. Or, you know, and mm. what kind of help do they need? I, I always think that questioning should always include other people as much as as much as it can, you know, question yourself, question the world. Um, but at some point you have to have that outside perspective. You know, mm. communicate yeah. something that you're questioning yourself to to somebody else and see what they think. Mm. Um, but I guess from Cat's point of view, from the <laughs> UK point of view, from the UK culture, uh, especially because of your experience, because you've you've done so much that is so noble and so dedicated to helping other people. Um, I guess I, I'm trying to find what help what's going to help people get out of their their rut their slough of of thinking that um Mm -hmm. they're not good enough to take care of themselves like what do we have to question the most
1: in ourselves
0: if we don't have access to all the other things
1: it's a very good question and for me I think it is it's the paradox of human life not to get too philosophical
0: oh that's totally do I love it
1: (laughs) we know that in the greater scheme of things we are but a blip in the universal time frame of existence mm-hmm. we know this we know that we die <laughs> we continue to exist in our current form and physical shape if you want to allow for lots of other possibilities but we know this we know that sometimes really uh, unfortunate things happen and people die way before you would like them to or People have accidents or stupid things happen. So, we know logically that human beings are fragile and we know that we are also at times violent and complicated and destructive. We also know that we are caring and community minded and, you know, determined to make shifts so that people have a more equal existence in this world because we can see ourselves in that bigger context. However, knowing all this and knowing particularly like in our lifetime, think about it, my God, the access to technology, can't. you know, holy moly, Google Earth, you know, my God, you know, phones, all this kind of stuff, we, we have so much more knowledge um, Yes, we we are so stupid sometimes. I think they were saying, (laughs) we know more about the moon than we do about our own oceans. And for me, that's what is always the thing to remember. It's like, we know that we are very small things on this floating ball hurtling through the universe. Yet we sometimes become so detailed focused. I mean, how many times have we done it? had a difficult email conversation with people at work or Mm -hmm. somebody bumped your truck in the parking lot or whatever. That shit stays with us for days. Yeah. Four days. And yet we know that we only have this one life. So I really love that visualization where it's like, just think about where you are now. Stop thinking about everything else. Just visualize yourself. See yourself from outside your body. Here I am, this is what I'm wearing, this is where I'm sitting down. And then start to zoom out. Okay, now I'm floating above myself from the second story of my house and I can see the top of my head. Then zoom out, oh, that's my house. Zoom out further, oh, that's my town. Zoom out further, 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 further. And just remind yourself right now, somewhere in the world, somebody is having a baby. Somebody is dying. Somebody is opening a bottle of champagne because they got the all clear from their last medical test. Somebody is having lunch with their grandparents. Somebody is mowing the lawn. Somebody is walking five miles to get water. Somebody is cowering from gunfire. Somebody is looking at the sunrise over the ocean. Somebody is climbing the side of a volcano. Somebody is making little pancakes and selling them on the street. (sighs) And that's, That's what you've got to say to yourself. Now think about where I am and what am I doing? And is this really what I want to be doing in my life? Really? (laughs) And it's really, I find it so helpful just to think about that. Just think about that. Because we have, especially when you have that agency, and you have that ability to make changes where you are living in a world that is more secure. And this isn't, again, this is not to take away from people's individual challenges, but we live in an unequal world and some people do have more opportunity than others. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, ah, and and therein lies the paradox because that is exactly the mindset which then causes us to overwork, over-identify. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. But many people I think would benefit from just being able to visualize, wow, out of all the things that are happening to human beings on earth right now, this is what I'm doing. And am I happy with that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's it. It's, it's raw. I guess is the best way to put it. It's like, it's truth. It's It's truth. And uh, God, what, what better way to question our existence about things like our personal, our individual existence, because out of 8 billion people, you know, how do we, how do we place ourselves, mm. it, you know, if we're if we're a blip in time, we're also <laughs> kind of a, a, a blip on the globe, too, you know, and yeah. how, how big of an effect do you want to have, you know, how I, that's a tough one. That's mm. a tough one. I think that's on an yeah. individual basis. Yeah, that would be very unique and diverse for a lot of people, though, you know, mm. um, how better way to decide that you are something different that you are something unique that you can attack to so many different other problems and you can fulfill yourself in so many other different ways
1: mm-hmm. and you know it's it we don't want you know we don't want overwhelm because mm-hmm. that we don't want to stay stuck in this feeling of like oh my god oh my god i'm just this inconspicuous ant on planet earth there's no point it doesn't matter
0: oh i totally you know, took that the wrong way <laughs>
1: So that's why, no, but that's why doing these kind of exercises is always helpful when you have a coach who can kind of give you a little bit of guidance and, you know, hold that space for you. Uh, If you want to think about it on your own time, of course you can. Um, So again, it's about this, this for me, these are such good questions because this is the entire problem with the human existence is that we are very, very complex as a species, we we have these complexities, we have these interdependencies, we have this inequality across the world, which makes it really difficult. You know, some people might say, it's really inappropriate just to tell somebody, you know, who's living in poverty, oh, just think about where you are in the globe, you know? So, do you see what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. got to be appropriate for the context that you're in. and, And it goes right back to that question of for people who then feel, that they don't want other people to experience, you know, pain, suffering, whether here in the UK or elsewhere in the world, you can see why it becomes such a strong pull to people. Um, and then why paradoxically it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it becomes very difficult for people to put those boundaries in. Mm-hmm.
0: Now I just feel like I gotta sit and think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, so- Sit and think is good but then we then we have to move to action that's the that's the important thing because ruminating or we don't want to dwell too much on it but we want to say okay so then realistically if I reflect on me you know what's the vision that I want for my life for me as a holistic person um not just my job okay right now what can we do to start getting there and that's mm-hmm. the process of coaching to bring it right back down to reality, and to say, okay, with the resources that you have, the time that you have, the life that you're living, you know, the classic, you are here, you want to get to here. How can we break it down? And that coaching process can be so helpful, particularly for these some of these big questions, because they almost seem insurmountable. It's like, well, where the hell do I start? You know, yeah. I'm just a blip in the ocean. What the hell? <laughs> I wish I never thought that, you know, so you always want to bring it back down and say, "Okay, so what can we what can you do? You know, what's the smallest thing you can do?
0: Well, and there's there's uh, I very much agree with that. That's that's one of my I I guess I don't think I have an official mantra, but that's part of my mantra is I have to act. I have to act Uh, no matter how small it may seem, because the ruminating like you're talking about, it keeps us so focused on the problem if if you know we don't have a healthy state of mind you know it, it's it's almost always comes back to the way our brain is wired around the things that are negative the things that that hold us back the things that made us who we are in the first place and and why we feel stuck you know mm-hmm. um so it even goes beyond my own my own uh slogan out there of questioning everything like you you legitimately have to act on things mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably one of the best things about coaching is that you have somebody to keep you responsible to, uh, (laughs) to remind you of what you're supposed to be doing, you know, Mm -hmm. in order to, because if you clear up and find your vision of what you want to be, you have somebody saying, okay, like, I'm going to keep you accountable. I'm, I'm i'm going to keep you on track yeah. uh because yeah. a lot of times we'll we'll sabotage ourselves and not pay attention you know mm-hmm. just give up on what we've done because we can't we think that we're not possible of doing it yeah and or sometimes we default, it's the smallest action
1: or we default back into the old mindset which is yeah, yeah yeah i i really want to work on myself because i'm not you know fully where i want to be but mm-hmm. the work i'm doing is so important i have to do that that has to be the priority that's a very easy mindset to fall into Mm-hmm. you know where you're just continuing to reinforce that narrative that you know doing that sort of saving the world job is somehow more important um mm-hmm. it is important like anyone's job or whatever is important to them is important but it cannot be at the expense and I think I don't know if you've ever read this book um by Viktor Frankl um, listen to um, it I Search would much for, rather read it yeah Man's Search for Meaning and Obviously, it's quite an intense book because it talks about his experience during the Holocaust. But he was really one of the first psychologists to develop this theory of what he calls logotherapy. And if you don't mind, I just want to read a little bit from it because it really articulates the complexity of what it means psychologically in that sort of understanding where we fit into the world. And he says, as logotherapy teaches, there are three main avenues on which one arrives at meaning in life. The first is by creating a work or by doing a deed. The second is by experiencing something or encountering someone. In other words, meaning can also be found not only in work, but also in love. But most important, however, is the third avenue to meaning in life. Even the helpless victim of a hopeless situation facing a fate he cannot change, may rise above himself, may grow beyond himself and by doing so change himself. He can change a personal tragedy into a triumph and this was very much based on his understanding going through the holocaust and trying to understand psychologically how that environment affected people psychologically and it's a fantastic book and I would really recommend it. It's it's of course very moving and very intense but also very thought-provoking and I think for me that sort of understanding that the work and the doing is one part the 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 encountering the sort of relationship is another but the third one that he talks about is about your mindset that's the thing that you can also control and change and that that that's what leads you to be able to appreciate meaning in what you're doing
0: Mm -hmm. no thank you for sharing that Kat. I that is a uh, fantastic passage. I, I, I don't, mm, I think they don't have to buy that. It, there, there's something with reading that slows my mind down rather mm-hmm. that's why I quit listening to books. I want to read them even though, yeah. um, it's a, it's a hobby that I have lost a little track of, to be honest. Um, but, I, <laughs> you know, I have, I have probably 40 books that I have to read. Um, a couple a couple of last questions here, Kat. So sure. when it comes to self-care and yeah. and and this this selflessness and finding a balance between the two, what is it that you think is the most influential thing? in incorporating that balance i guess mm.
1: i think of course it would be different for different people but from my own experience the sense of having strong and appropriate boundaries
0: mm-hmm.
1: is Which often about, yeah. missing or it's difficult and by reinserting stronger boundaries it helps to retain that sense of identity beyond just what you do as a job or how you spend your time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows you to work in a way that's more positive for yourself. Um, it's not always easy, that's entirely the point. But um, for me, I think that's definitely something to look at, you know, with clients, for example, you know, what's going on, where are there sort of you know gaps in the boundaries and the client may not recognize that themselves at first but that's the coaching process is to um, you know it's not for me to say oh I think you've got a problem with your boundaries no but it helps support the client to go through that process where they're able to increase their own awareness and go oh kind of feels like I have a problem with boundaries I wonder what's going on you know Mm.
0: which can feel super painful because you think that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing
1: maybe yeah yeah i mean i can give you a really good example um at work um, you know going through a couple of sort of restructurings difficult times at work in the past and um, you know I had been involved in the process and I had a chair next to my desk and often colleagues would come and sit down in the chair um, and have a chat with me and get a bit of support and the reason why I put a chair there was because colleagues were coming over to my desk and they were standing there having a chat and I felt bad that they Mm. couldn't sit down so I thought oh let me put a chair that would be helpful for them won't it And do you know what? It was the worst thing I could have ever possibly have done because what started off as a well-meaning thing, Mm -hmm. let me help these people. Let me give them a chest. I created a monster for myself because it was an inappropriate lack of boundaries in the sense that suddenly I realized, wow, maybe I'm getting more out of this than they are. You know mm-hmm. maybe I like being liked, maybe I like people coming to me for advice, mm-hmm. maybe I like, you know, maybe it's nice for me to feel connected to people. And I realized through my own process of counseling training at that time, wow, I'm also taking away their agency to manage their own problems.
0: Ooh,
1: yeah. And there is a real fine line between I'm supporting you to I am now taking away your agency. So for me, going through that process, reflecting on it myself, suddenly I had that thing like, oh shit, should I get rid of the chair? And then of course the brain was like, yeah. Well, if you get rid of the chair, people think you're really rude. People think you don't want them to be welcome at your mm-hmm. desk. People think that you're not being very helpful. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, and have to really, you know. And do you know what? I got rid of the chair. It was never a problem. <laughs> it was never a problem. And you know what? That to me was a really good example of self-reflection that was painful that came from a point of yeah but surely i'm only helping people to Mm -hmm. oh wow actually this boundary is not strong as it needs to be for them and for me
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that's why you know that's actually how i kind of started off on this journey of um moving from somebody who likes to work with people and support them to somebody who can coach people which is a very different way of working yeah
0: well Um, and and the thing um, you can clean this up for me uh, if i if I don't uh, define this, right? But the biggest thing for coaching is to make sure that the person understands how powerful they are on their own. that that, that accountability there is there, that you know, keeping them responsible for their own things. But realizing that that they are capable of of all these mm-hmm. things, um, and they have the power to to make change and mm-hmm. helping people realize that, that they have that and that they're they're not helpless that they're not um that they're not stuck that they're not in a place mm-hmm. where they can't create something new That that is one of the most beneficial things about coaching it mm-hmm. seems like
1: mm-hmm. absolutely i think it's the the ability to be able to hold space mm-hmm. and to support somebody in that space which is slightly different from you know helping people in the broadest sense and it, it really is that ability to um, support but you know you're not there to fix everybody's problems and going right back to the beginning mm-hmm. that's really hard when you work in a profession which is entirely about helping other people yeah but, you know, <laughs> being able to have that space and and to be able to talk you know freely without being judged in it you know and I think sometimes people are too sort of black and white they sort of say oh well you know well if I'm not like this then people will think I'm really unapproachable and that I'm not warm and helpful and it's like yeah it's not one or the other you can be an amazing coach and you can be warm and you can be non-judgmental and you can be supportive and hold space but you have the boundaries in place for the client to do the work and for the client to have that agency so yeah it's it's not easy but because we all want to help each other that's you know broadly the human experience but it's not always helpful eh? (laughs) Yeah.
0: no um if there if there is anything that you recommend to other people um probably you know books uh certain influencers there's there's definitely uh influencers that i look at um but also like habits and actions that people can take from this this episode from Mm. the podcast that you would recommend what are the, the biggest things that stick out yeah. to you?
1: Um, genuinely, I feel that there is a massive benefit for people to be in, engaged in therapy or counselling, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not they're also in a coaching process. I think that having that space where you are able to reflect on the patterns that are formed through life, the impacts of culture on your relationships, et cetera, et cetera, is really important. Uh, But understanding that's not always possible or desirable for people, I think uh, anything that can lead to some good self-reflection and focus energy on connecting mind and body through self-care is really good. So there's a fantastic book by Tracy Kleantis. It's called Invitation to Self-Care and she does a very good description of all the different types of self-care and why some are more effective and more positive than others and what it is about these different actions that are helpful or not so helpful. Um, I think in terms of the real practical stuff, you know, I think you, you know, you're you familiar with this book, Atomic Habits by James Clear, in terms of how can I start to shift then my thinking into behavior and action that works for me. Um, I particularly like his tip about, you know, make it easier to do the thing that you want to do and harder to do the thing that you don't want to do. So for example, it sounds really weird, but you might say, I really got to get it off like my phone. Like I'm spending too much time on social media. It's really not helpful for me. So one simple thing is if you're particularly lazy, leave your phone upstairs and chances are you'll feel so lazy that you won't be bothered to go and get it and suddenly you, <laughs> yeah you know silly things like that but but really it's about changing that behavior um sort of big books like I said Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning um I know this is one of your favorites it's the Simon Sinek Start With Why oh, so good. um you know how great leaders inspire everyone to take action it really is about that reconnection um back into yourself and then to see where you can slowly through what I call this process of recalibration make small changes because the power of small change is power indeed that's what i say
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh no thank you for all that kat um one last major question Mm. Uh, defined by defined by you Mm. what and and your angle what does it mean to be rebel-minded
1: oh yeah oh it's a tricky one it's a tricky one I think if I'm coming from the point of view of the big picture, you know, the global zoom out and where I am in the world, I think really right now it's not, to, you know, everything that's going on in the world, like I said, living in this unequal world with privilege and discrimination, to, now to be rebel minded is to say, I'm not going to accept this. And that may undermine everything I have said about how it's important not to to <laughs> that. know mindset but I think genuinely you know with the caveat that you know you you put in good boundaries and you take time for self-care it it really is just to say I just don't accept that we live in a world where people you know suffer it you know if you think about it again with the big picture the blip in time that we're at it's just unacceptable Mm
0: -hmm. with
1: the things that we can do with the resources and the technology that we have and yet and yet and yet, and I think to be rebel-minded means to say, yeah, I just don't accept that.
0: Boom, take action then.
1: Yeah, absolutely. but also be balanced. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, okay, Kat. So, where is the best place for everybody to find you?
1: Yes. Um, well, uh, <laughs> I am. I am uh, on social media. Uh, you can find me on Instagram uh, at. Uh, little green guru because I love my um, green space that's a whole different podcast I love your green space um, yeah uh, <laughs> ooh, that time outside it's great um, and also I have a website which is www.catalystcat.co.uk and there's a load of information on there about what I do why I do it and how I can work with you so um, yeah if you like pictures of cats, food, garden, self care, <laughs> that's Instagram. If you want to read a bit more about my background and what I do and why I do it, that's the website. Perfect.
0: Okay, everybody. So you've heard from Cat Simmons today. She is fantastic. Thank you for being on here, Kat. I highly appreciate it. Um, I will put all of her information in the episode. And if you're curious about this angle of self-care and, you know, getting away from so much selflessness that it takes away from yourself, I implore you to reach out to her because she's one of the most intelligent, wise people I've come across. Thank you, everybody here for joining us on another episode of the Rebel Mind podcast. Stay strong and stay Rebel Minded. I'm your host. Here we are again, at the end. I'm starting to tear up a little bit, and I just want you to know that I'm gonna miss you, and I appreciate you, and I love you, and I hope that whatever you're after, you keep fighting for it. Your experience is uniquely your own, and so that means so are the challenges that you face. Stay strong, and don't let anyone diminish who you are or what you dream of being. As your friend and fellow flawed human, stay rebel-minded, my friends. Until next time.